Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's Tuesday episode of the Fraudology podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. I've been looking forward to sharing this conversation with you all for several weeks. But a couple of months ago when I reached out to Ian Mitchell at The Noble to ask him and Terry to join me to talk about the relationship of online financial fraud to other crimes like human trafficking and child exploitation, which they did back in December, Ian also suggested that I talk to leaders within the U.S. federal law enforcement. Truthfully, because I remember the way that some federal law enforcement agents and agencies have dismissed online financial fraud in previous decades, not all, but I think a lot of us that have been in online fraud for a long time, especially on the e-commerce and marketplace and fintech side, hadn't really felt like that was a priority. Uh, and I mean, truthfully, they have a lot of other things on their plate, so it's not a dig. It's just kind of, I was like, well, I don't know if they'd want to talk about online fraud, especially on a podcast publicly, but okay, I'll, you know, I'm willing to meet anyone. Uh, so I wasn't confident that they'd want to talk to me or, or talk with me or be on fraudology, but two things happened. One, I learned that the Ian has some really big deal contacts within his work at the Noble. He quickly sent an introduction email introducing me to Dave Smith. He is the assistant director of the Office of Investigations at the U.S. Secret Service and to Raul Aguilar, the deputy assistant director for the Financial and Fraud Division of Homeland Security, which is the principal investigative component for the Department of Homeland Security. The other thing I learned from the replies to Ian's introduction email was that both of them were not only willing to join me for an episode of Fraudology, but they were excited to share with so many fraud fighters and fraud departments in the private sector that they want to work with us. It didn't take long on the first call we had to feel like I'd known both of them for years. <laughs> As you'll hear in our conversation, Dave already teases me about my love for 90s hip hop. And Raul is genuine and down to earth too. Despite their incredibly busy schedules, they both made time to talk with me together. And although I offered to interview them separately so that their schedules would be easier to coordinate, uh, it was incredibly important to both of them that they demonstrate their commitment to working together and collaborating between their agencies, especially on issues of online financial fraud and the collateral crimes that are often connected. Collaboration within their agencies and with companies within the private sector hasn't always been normal within their agencies. And as you'll hear, both of these leaders are committed to leading their agencies into a new era of progress over egos and collaboration over competition. They also want you all to know how to work with them and that they welcome your outreach. For And like I said, for those of us in e-commerce and marketplaces for that might sound foreign, but they really mean it. I've had more than one phone call with them in conversation, and they really are genuine about this. They wouldn't have taken time out of their schedule to do this if it wasn't so important. So a little more about both of these badass leaders in U.S. federal law enforcement. 
For Rebel, in addition to his kind of long title, he's in charge of countering transnational organized crime, and he's passionate about education and collaboration, which we obviously connected on. He enjoys meeting loss prevention, organized crime, and organized retail crime, and fraud fighters at conferences and similar events, and he likes to share case studies and information about what his team does. HSI's mission is to investigate, disrupt, and dismantle transnational criminal organizations and terrorist networks that threaten or seek to exploit the customs and immigration laws of the U.S. Rule's been a criminal investigator for over 24 years with different federal agencies within the U.S. And in his current role, Dave Smith leads the agency's entire field-based footprint. That's the U.S. Secret Service agency's entire field-based footprint. So, Every agent, basically. Uh, That's comprised of 161 offices worldwide and over 3,000 personnel. They're responsible for executing the investigative mission, supporting the protective mission, and administering all mission support functions. As we and NDU in the private sector continue to see more signs of organized online retail crimes, Tied to financial fraud, it's more important than ever to consider working with or at least reporting some of the information and fraud attempts made within your network. As I talked about with Ian and Terry at the Noble, and also in the two-part episode with Shoshana Marini at the beginning of December, we talked about the human trafficking element of online fraud. And so in all three of those episodes, we talked about just how much the stakes are higher. We're not just talking about financial fraud anymore. And not that we always were, but there's just more signs than ever that there's so much transnational and international cybercrime happening, specifically targeted towards the U.S., although the U.K. and the E.U. are also prime targets, too. And it's getting out of control more than ever. And I think I'm preaching to the converted on that. So I think that it's definitely worth calling in the big guns and... You don't forget that when I had Eric Bowles and Robert Caps on, I believe it was back in June when they talked about starting their own investigative department for Subhub, Eric talked about how literally the next day after a very large fraud group and organized uh, crime ring were arrested, they saw their fraud attempts just skydive, go down to very close to zero. Because as it turned out, that one group was responsible for the majority of their fraud attempts at the time. So there's a lot of other opportunities for reducing fraud in this way than only playing whack-a-mole at the front. I'm a firm believer in holistic fraud prevention. I, if you've listened to any of these episodes, I think you've picked that up. And so that's why I thought it was so good to talk with Dave and Raul. And I was so grateful that they wanted to talk with me and talk to you all. So I'm excited for you to get to hear my conversation with Dave and Rule. And as we mentioned, I'll include the links to learn more about some of their initiatives within the agencies in the show notes.
Well, I'm lo really looking forward to this conversation. I have Raul Aguilar, who is the Deputy Assistant Director for the Financial and Fraud Division for HSI. And I also have Dave Smith, the Assistant Director of the Office of Investigations for the U.S. Secret Service. You guys have big titles, which means you're a big deal. Thank you for coming and welcome to Fraudology. Thanks for having us, Carice. Yep. Carice, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for making it happen. We'll try to cram as much as we can in a short amount of time, but you guys are familiar with the people that listen to this podcast have very shared missions and passions as you and your agents as well. More on the private sector. Sometimes it feels like we're playing whack-a-mole, just trying to avoid the losses for our companies. But you guys play a very important part as well as far as investigating. And there hasn't always been a good understanding of how to work all together. And anyone that listens to this podcast for five minutes knows that I am a huge proponent of collaboration and education. So let's kind of dive into it. I think, Raul, we'll start with you first, just talking a little bit about HSI and especially in terms of financial fraud, online fraud, where you guys sit and what you see. Yeah, so thank you. So I am, like you said, I'm the currently I'm the Deputy Assistant Director for the Financial Fraud Division here in Washington, D.C. And we serve as a programmatic unit supporting the 30 SAC offices in the field in the domestic space and over 80 offices around the world. We have 7,500 agents, over 3,500 task force officers assigned to our, our task forces. And we're really the, the largest investigative arm for the Department of Homeland Security, responsible for investigating over 400 authorities. Well, and that's a great opportunity for Dave to share a little bit more about the Secret Service and what your purview is, as well as you know how you're working with other agencies like HSI. Okay, Carice. Again, Dave Smith, Assistant Director, Office of Investigations. Obviously, the Secret Service, our brand is largely associated with our protection of the executive branch of the U.S. government, president, vice president, foreign heads of state, so on and so forth. Our original mission was protecting the financial infrastructure. Uh, that was via suppressing the proliferation of counterfeit U.S. currency, which was very prevalent in 1865, which is the year we started. I always like to say that we've evolved our mission to not just investigate cases cases involving paper money, but plastic money and now digital money. We have 42 domestic field offices and three foreign field offices under my purview. We have 161 offices total within the Office of Investigations. We have cyber fraud task forces that are co-located with the overwhelming majority of those field offices. And those are the local hubs of our investigative missions. Those cyber fraud task forces include personnel from HSI, local law enforcement entities, other federal law enforcement entities that we work closely with. And we have what we call the Global Investigative Operations Center here at Secret Service Headquarters, which is a couple of floors down from where I work, which is the overall hub for the spoke CFTFs. So they have their, their own hubs in their own right. But then we have a hub here called the Global Investigative Operations Center or JIOC that creates sort of that connective tissue or adhesive for all of our cases. Because, you know, back when Raul and I started in our respective field offices, to have a case, I started in the San Francisco office, to have a case that touched LA or Seattle was, was a big deal. In this environment, your cases are going to touch every corner of the globe. So we have to make sure we have 
an eye on the local community, that local community eye closes and, and the, that global community eye needs to be perpetually open as well. So we have that JIOC, it's that connective tissue or adhesive for our investigative mission. And, and the Secret Service, it's in our DNA as the Secret Service to work collaboratively. We're a relatively small federal law enforcement entity. We don't own Air Force One or, or HMX helicopters or motorcycles. Those are all resources owned and operated by our partners. And we just happen to have great relationships that they, they allow us to share those resources when we have important people in town. Well, and I've really appreciated the fact that you both want to work together in getting information out as well as in working in cases. I think even though you both rattled off a lot of numbers as far as the resources and number of offices you have, there's also a lot of crimes that you have to investigate too. It's not just financial fraud. It's not just immigration fraud. It's all these other pieces. And so just kind of Jumping forward a little bit as far as when you're working with financial fraud, whether it's online retailers or banks, credit card companies and others, how are you each seeing those have, you know, kind of collateral crimes? Raul, I'll, I'll start with you as far as because I think you're know, stepping back a little bit. And we talk, I talked with Ian and Terry at The Noble recently, and you know they certainly talked about that. I think for the longest time, those of us within online fraud have really been focusing on the financial, but we're seeing more and more that that money goes to be spent on on other things. And that can help us explain to leadership why it's important for them to invest in deterrence. Yeah. So as I was trying to get at the beginning of this, I should have started with HSI's broad legal authority to conduct federal criminal investigations into illegal cross-border movement of people, goods, money, technology, and other contraband throughout the United States leads to collateral crimes of gang activity, child exploitation, human smuggling, trafficking, illegal export of controlled technology, weapons, money laundering, financial and fraud scams. And so in order to do that, we work collaboratively in any of the, of the task forces that we talked about earlier, the, the Dave mentioned in the cyber task forces. But we also have our, our HSI-led border enforcement security task forces that are assigned in over all over the 30 SAC offices. And those have interagency partners trying to investigate and go after the criminal activity of the things that I just mentioned. So it's tied to collateral crimes across the space. And, and HSI does this day in and day out with our interagency partners. Wow. And Dave, how do you see that as well, as far as financial fraud and crimes going to either fund other crimes or just all being connected? So one thing we talk about on a pretty constant basis, and then this is facilitated largely out of the JIOC that I mentioned before, for instance, a, a business email compromise, a BEC. Generally speaking, historically, we're, we're federal law enforcement professionals, you know, Raul and I, we came up and you got to arrest some folks put some handcuffs on folks, make sure they suffer some consequences with some punitive action and judicial action. But that's still a piece of it. But another piece of it, in my estimation, I'm sure Raul agrees with this, is making sure we stop the flow of illicit funds to bad people at yeah. every turn because we know as long as they're able to enrich themselves and, and increase their coffers, those resources are going to be expended carrying out every form of criminal activity known to mankind, if you will. So, mm -hmm. so not only are we focused on the, the handcuffs, the, the, the traditional punitive measures, making sure we stop the bleeding, we stop the flow of those illicit resources entering the hands of, of bad people is, is a top priority for me. And I want to take your statement you made a little bit earlier about, you know, we want to work together. I read executive summaries about six every weekend or every, every Friday evening. And I send case executive summary kudos to the case teams in the field office every week. 
And one of the criteria that I like to see that I express to the folks in the field that are working our cases is I want to see you working a case with other federal law enforcement entities. Mm -hmm. Because if you're not, it's probably an indicator that it's not of the magnitude that we need to be focused on as a federal entity. Bad people, they're not monogamous when it comes to the types of crimes they want to commit. They're going to enrich themselves in every arena that they can. Human trafficking, human smuggling, child exploitation, elder abuse, romance scams, pig butchering, you name it. So if HSI is working a case from a human trafficking angle and we're working a case from a pig butchering angle, guess what? As those cases start to have some overlap, as long as at the end of the day, we're bringing some consequences to the bad guys, like that's a win. I I have appetite or energy to be arguing or or at odds with with my partner, Raul. Like bad guys in jail, bad guys with less resources, win. Virology is now brought to you by Sardine. So what is sardine? I mean, other than a small oily fish in the herring family, sardine is a fraud tech platform that was ultimately built by fraud fighters for fellow fraud fighters with the features that they wanted in a fraud provider when they worked for companies within financial services, e-commerce, digital banking, and consumer lending. They're a team who geeks out on the same minute data that indicate a fraud pattern or anomaly as we do, and they run investigations every day. Sardine's product is even measured with the same KPIs as you probably are. More specifically, Sardine has combined more than 30 data providers into one tool for you. Benchmarked for performance into a single dashboard and API that can be used for KYC, AML, and payment fraud detection. But crucially, they also allow Sardine customers to use their own data, to access their own data, as well as the results from all data providers they work with and the features Sardine has created as they, their customers, need to use them. There's no more mysterious black box that calculates the risk of new accounts, logins, or transactions and magically turns them into a score that was most likely based on attributes that look risky to other business models. For some clients, they use Sardines as their full stack for all account onboarding, transaction monitoring, case management, etc. Others use them as a sophisticated data provider. Basically, Sardine fits to you rather than vice versa. So if you want to see for yourself that the product you've always wanted finally exists, you can book a demo at www.sardine.ai or by clicking the link in the show notes for today's episode. You know, it's important to remember to consider in many of these fraud schemes, they're not isolated events, like you said, they're actually interrelated, interconnected to a network of criminal activity that once their funds are processed for them, it, it continues to, to their portfolio and it, and it leads to these other collateral crimes that unfortunately would involve the victimization of, of the American people and even overseas, as, as we see the connections to our attache's office, how it affects the, those, those countries that are, that are being victimized. Well, we see that in the private sector as well, where I think on the good guy side, so to speak, we have to have departments and have things silo, hopefully not as siloed as they have been in the past, but we have to have core focuses of each department. You know, private sector, for example, we have the cybersecurity team and the fraud department, and they historically haven't always had to work together. But now we're seeing so many on the criminal side crossing over. They don't care if that goes in the bucket of cybersecurity or fraud. They're just going to do it, right? And they realize, oh, if we cross over and do this, we're hitting a blind spot. And so I'm sure that that's very similar in the public sector as well. And I have to say kudos to you guys, because I have been 
I'm just aware of U.S. agencies over the years and worked with a few here and there in different specific cases, as well as in introductions to large organizations. And it hasn't always been the case that each of your organizations would not care about the credit as much as the impact and as much as the outcome. So I love the fact that you're coming here together and and wanting to share that message together. It's not about, you know, a red shirt or a blue shirt or anything like that. It's just, hey, we, we need to catch these bad guys however we can. And each organization has different specialties, right? So, and chances are they all work together. You know, Dave was joking yeah. about when we started, but just a quick comical yeah, note. Please. I think when him and I first started, you never would have thought the word cyber enabled crime would have been in our portfolio for, <laughs> but that is what every single agent is using now as right. they're coming out of the academy. I mean, we're, we're really training them on understanding the connections to cyber enabled financial crime, online marketplace crime, any of the collateral crimes that are tied to utilizing the internet. And, and then we can talk for days about the the, the void that we have in the crypto space as we progress as agencies to try to equip our teams to be able to match the criminal networks that are out there with some of the, the, the smartest criminals out there. Go ahead, to piggyback on what Raul just said, one of the things definitely paints an accurate picture. One of the things that's encouraging to me about that mm-hmm. is Raul and I came in, I, I like to use the term Neanderthal, right? But I, <laughs> also... A, a transitional leader in that I'm sort of like the the catalyst or the, or the, the connected tissue between like an, an older generation and the newer. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I see with some of the younger folks is they're not necessarily coming to the federal government with the expectation to stay here for 20 or 30 years. And they do want to obtain, retain, and enhance some marketable skills that they can use beyond federal law enforcement employment. And, and that does actually keep them motivated to stay on the cutting edge of some of the, the, the criminal tactics because they're, I mean, honestly, they're not just thinking about staying here forever. They may want to leverage those skills and capacity in a private sector opportunity. That's a really good point. I mean, I mentioned this to you before, Dave, and I know my audience, if they've listened to past episodes, which I think a lot of them have, I had Eric Bowles on who you know was Secret Service out of the San Francisco office about a little Flexion. over 10 years ago. Yes, he was on your team. Yes. And then he was basically, his intention was to stay there in public service, but he did such a good job on the investigation with StubHub that Robert Capps made him an offer he couldn't refuse. And he's now at Yahoo doing some amazing work on, you know, safety side and all of that. That's just one example. I've I've known several, but I it's also gotta be hard for you guys to, you know, retain the talent. But I do think that having those opportunities of national and federal law enforcement being able to stay on the cutting edge and having that, I think it's a really good thing that you're looking at it as a positive. I'm sure it's also a challenge to retain good talent, but there is that hunger and that drive to want to keep learning the new things. Because I mean, I know I'm kind of in a similar spot as you, where I very much remember the old school way of, of you know, financial crime kind of right before cyber happened. And but at the same time, if we don't keep evolving and adapting, we're going to be even more behind than we already are. And gosh, you mentioned crypto and that's like a whole other, you know, days long conversation. But there are so many sides, not necessarily reinventing the wheel, but working on the same thing on the private sector and the public sector that I'd love to see more collaboration there as well. And I know that you know you both have done that in different ways. And Raul, from the HSI perspective, what are you know some of the ways that you guys are working more with the private sector? And then I'd love for you guys to also talk about Operation Boiling Point too. 
Yeah, absolutely. So thank you for that opportunity. That is critical for us to be able to do our job. I'll start off with the Intellectual Property Rights Center here in D.C., which is the center which is in charge of investigating IP theft, counterfeit theft. It's a prime example of how we work with the public and private sector, engage with multiple agencies stationed with us, working with the private sector companies that have responsibilities to protect their brand, interagency across the board, reviewing each other's equity so we can prosecute cases, train the, the public, work on trends and, and pass that information back and forth. So that's a perfect example. In the space of Operation Bowling Point, which is our initiative to go after organized retail crime and organized retail theft, that's another great example. You know, the example comes out with four pillars. The number one pillar is that is a public and private partnership engagement across the board. And that means working with the state and local organized retail crime task forces, which are called ORCAs, working with organizations like RELA, CLEAR, the National Retail Federation, and anybody else that wants to partner with us, that's those are the folks that we're, we're joining with, along with our federal partners to prosecute these cases. The second is getting actionable leads out to the field. That's the second pillar. And to do that, you need to deconflict with the interagency through any of the centers of excellence here in DC or through the state and retailer investigators that we work with on a day in and day out. The third is what Dave and I were talking about earlier, very basic. We put people in jail and we seize their assets. It's dismantle and disrupt those organizations that are tied into all those tangential crimes that we talked about human trafficking, human exploitation, child exploitation, and gang activity and drugs. And the fourth is really an aggressive marketing campaign for the public. And, and that's why we agreed to do your podcast, which is why we put up the website for Operation Bowling Point on ice.gov and where the public can go and learn about what we're doing with the interagency to go after these criminal, sophisticated networks that are in it to make money and sometimes work with impunity because they can hide in the shadows of, of the ease of selling and, and moving merchandise through those e-commerce platforms, plain and simple. So that's that's what Operation Bowling Point is, is doing currently. The one last piece that I wanted to bring into it for the financial sector, we did put together a very aggressive investigator guide that I can share with you and that you can send to your listeners. Yeah. And it's a breakdown of two cases, two case examples, the red flags associated with those examples and, and, and an initiative through ACAMS, a partner of a, of a public private sector relationship where we put out the guide so the banking institutions and the money service business institutions can look at how to report suspicious activity reports and tie those those leads to organized retail crime or organized retail theft groups mm. or cargo theft groups that had not previously been identified. If you see a suspicious activity report that comes to me or Dave's team, you'll see the human trafficking red flags, you'll see the narcotics, mm. you'll see some of the other collateral crimes. But nobody had ever put those words, organized retail crime, together. So together with the interagency, HSI took the lead. We put that out and we really want the public to be aware that that guide is out there for them. I will absolutely put it in the show notes of the podcast. That's where I put all the resources. And Dave, similar question for you. How is the Secret Service working with online retailers and financial institutions to help them identify the base of groups? Because I'm sure that they have some of the pieces to the puzzle that maybe you know your organizations don't have and, and vice versa. So we have our longstanding relationships and actually we have detailees assigned to places like FinCEN and, and that's a longstanding relationship. I, I like to give the example of when we were more so associated with counterfeit U.S. currency, which is still a core violation of ours, we had our trainees go to Crane Paper Company up in the Northeast portion of the United States for part of the training. And we had detailees assigned there. Now, if you look at us today in 2022, 
we have detailees assigned to Coinbase, detailees assigned to Binance, because as we've pivoted, as we've evolved, people don't usually associate the word nimble with government, but we do have to be nimble and, and forward thinking. And if, if criminals are using a certain medium to move money, we have to be in a position to uh, oppose that. The Secret Service is a longstanding relationship with financial institutions. That's been our bread and butter as long as I've been on the job, over 20 years. I, I, had, I had an Afro when I started. That Afro. <laughs> but, but to finish up that point, the financial institutions, the relationships we have with them are, are not relationships that are passing when I was in a different position within the U.S. Secret Service, I used to bring cupcakes to work and pass them out to people, you know, on, on in different capacities when there was nothing going on. Because so, at some point, you're going to need something, right? You're going to yeah. need, you need yeah. that partnership. Heck where, where yeah. it's, it's an HR or the CIO's office or CFO's office. So it's the same thing with the relationships with the financial institutions. You 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 keep them happy. Sometimes they're giving you some information about about a BEC, getting some money returned for a victim. That may not be something we can get a big public release splash with, but it's something that builds that confidence and trust uh, with that partner and, and lets them know that, hey, we're, we're not just in this for attention. We're not just in this for the splash or the news articles. We're in this to make sure victims aren't being taken advantage of by the bad guys and the bad guys just get to walk away with money. But when you establish those relationships, you have that discretion, you have that trust. It's something that has benefited us and it has benefited the financial institutions for a long time. Going back to what I said about the young folks not necessarily being tethered to the Secret Service yeah. for 20 or 30 years, e even though there may be an element of, hey, that's just the way it is now and I I've embraced it, I honestly feel as if it's beneficial for folks to move on who have talents because guess what? Those folks who worked for HSI and those folks who worked for the Secret Service, they're still going to have some, some connectivity with those yeah. agencies. He's, and and that, that spreads that trust around because guess what? They still have buddies, folks they were in training with in those organizations. And if there's a case with the nexus to HSI, to the Secret Service, that they feel like we can be of mutual benefit to one another, guess what? That person's going to make that phone call. Yeah, it's a great point for me to just close out the, to the topic. I mean, without that connection of the former either federal law enforcement or state partnerships that, that folks go into these private sector companies, so that connection wouldn't be as easy to, to work back and forth with. I do have to mention, so under my division, we have a cornerstone initiative. It's, it's the actual initiative into the financial industry. And I can put you on the distribution that goes out on a monthly basis. And basically, it's a, it's a proactive outreach message that goes out with a particular threat for that month. So one month might be third-party money launderers. One threat might be online marketplace scams, romance scams. It could be lottery scams, or it could be organized retail crime. So we put that out as a collective messaging for red flags for the banking institutions, for fintech. So Cornerstone, if you ever go to one of our booth events, if we're at a big conference, you'll see the Cornerstone sign in the back. And we actually have coins. And once you have a coin, Dave, you are a real organization. You're a real project in headquarters. <laughs> <laughs> Got a coin. Hey, that's legit. Got a coin. You're legit. Too legit. I, we're not right? talking. <laughs> <laughs> Always loves the '90s rap references. Davis picked up on that real fast. We're gonna uh, lose our focus here. Stop making me laugh. Lou is lost. Well, I read junk moments. I think all of us that see crime, whether it's financial crime or violent crime. We need some levity in life. And I love that about talking with both of you and something I love working with all the companies that I do on the private sector, too, is that we can be so serious. And then all of a sudden, yeah, talk about something that's either wildly inappropriate or just funny and corny. And, and we need that. Right. But it also helps bond. Right. Just like Dave was talking about the cupcake. 
think having those interactions and having those inside jokes or the things that you know about each other, it's what builds trust. And that trust on our side is needed so much to work together. And I want to talk a little bit about a couple of the cases and stuff that you've done in a minute. But before, because I know at least one of you has to go fairly soon. So before that happens, I wanted to make sure that I kind of introduced this elephant in the room, which I already warned you both about, you know, me being on the e-commerce merchant side along with the marketplaces and all of that. Primarily, though, I do obviously work with fintech and financial institutions too. There's kind of been a sordid history of trying to work with law enforcement over the years and not knowing who to talk to or, you know, what the right thing is to do or what cases they want to know or anything like that. So for those companies, I mean, I can tell you, especially with this one giant thing I'm working on now that I've kind of talked with both of you about already, each company has so much valuable information that they want to give to somebody else to actually go to the root of the problem, right? They're just trying to play whack-a-mole real fast as different things are being exploited. What are some tips to, you know, online retailers and those companies that may not have those direct relationships long-term with your organization if they have a case that they're like, these are all, all these are together or if they want to work with you, is it going to, you know, the CFTF task forces locally? Is it, you know, reaching out through Operation Boiling Hood? Like what, what would each of you recommend? So the answer is, I like to start off by saying law enforcement recognizes that everyone not, is not going to be comfortable reaching out to us reflexively. You know, like we don't live in these silos where we, where we don't know that all of society is not just married to or waking up like, oh, I just love law enforcement, right? You know, <laughs> I, I have relatives who don't like law enforcement. So some may even live with me. I don't know. <laughs> but what folks have to remember is we are the folks. The, the first answer is to make sure to call someone you trust. If that's not the secret service, but it's another law enforcement entity, that's great. You, you have to establish the relationships similar to my cupcake analogy earlier. You have to establish those relationships early on because law enforcement is constantly stewing on information, gathering information, may not be from that particular source, but from a bevy of other sources that paint a picture. Law enforcement is constantly managing confidential informants. That still exists, even though, you know, we've gone more to e-commerce than, you know, in person. Uh, so certain law enforcement elements have not have not gone to the wayside. So while the company may see something in a small bite, the law enforcement community in general has a, a more wholesome, a more comprehensive view of it. But I'll also say that comprehensive view is not going to be as comprehensive as if the private sector folks provide us some information that may be a benefit to them and to us. So making sure you're tethered to your local Secret Service, HSI, other federal law enforcement partners, making sure you're tethered to even your local SLTT, state local tribal territorial law enforcement community, because guess what they're going to do when something becomes too weighty for them? They're going to call Raul. They're going to call me. And, and contrary to popular belief, I know there's a ton of movies out there showing law enforcement, brass, butting heads and, and not being friendly. I, I can tell you we have genuine relationships. HSI, Secret Service, IRS, CI, FBI have genuine relationships with the leadership. And, and there's no appetite for letting egos and, and some of that Hatfield McCoy stuff that folks still have in their head get in the way of the business of bringing some consequences to bad folks. So put yourself out there, step out on faith, day faith, if you will. Day faith? <laughs> no, I guess day faith is better than blind faith, right? Hey, better, better. <laughs> trust me. Trust me. 
Yeah, well, I think you said it perfect. And if I can just jump in from the HSI perspective, I think every agency is is restricted with resources and manpower. And we're trying to do more every single day with the resources that we have. I think the interagency piece is key, which is why I started with it. As long as the lead, investigative lead gets reported through any of the, the mechanisms that you put out there through the Secret Service websites or the consumer guides that I sent you, or when we get into the portion of the organized retail crime email systems that I'll provide here at the very end, as long as it gets into the law enforcement system, we don't care how it got there. State, local, federal, retailer, online marketplace, bank, send the leads in. Utilize the FinCEN ex- relationship for SARS. Uh, utilize the relationship through reporting the crime to any, any of those agencies because the deconfliction centers that are in place, these centers of excellence that bring law enforcement together, provide us an avenue to not include the human element. Technology is helping us understand what cases the Secret Service is working when we do our deconfliction. So luckily those are in place and we're much better place that we were 15, 20 years ago. So, and as that continues to amplify in the cyber-enabled crime, that nexus will lead us to the Europoles, the international nexus, where both Dave and I have extensive resources and so do the other federal agencies. It's imperative that we understand that these are transnational organized crime networks that that have ties to places that maybe sometimes we don't have access to, but our attache network and our international teams do. And we work with those foreign offices day in and day out to get those leads prosecuted and, and really come down to what Dave and I talked about earlier, put people in jail and take their assets of the illicit gains so we can stop the criminal activity. So much to be said with that, right? Because you're not just stopping one guy. It's you know, we've seen it over and over and over again with so many cases that I've been involved in or seen where as soon as a retailer or a bank works with law enforcement and there's that headline component or even just getting through the networks, you'll see it, you know, on Telegram, Discord, Dark Web, et cetera. Oh, don't mess with them because, you know, they've, they're working there. And that's what all of our goals should be, right? It's not out running the bear necessarily, though. We'd love to do that too. Dave, any final, I know that you do have to go because... Yeah. You both are so busy, uh, but I'd love for you to share some final thoughts with my listeners. Some final thoughts, some things that we weren't doing when I was new, to go back to my Neanderthal uh, analogy, you know, like (laughs) taking down domains. That was not a thing when I was a brand new agent, but those are the types of things that our agents and analysts are doing now to make sure we're we're dismantling. Like like that is dismantling, Mm -hmm. of course, the definition of dismantling. (laughs) And disrupting. I mean, you know, working with those digital asset exchanges. So when we have it, a wallet address that has some some fishy nexus to it that we can focus on that. Again, limited resources, but once you once you get a couple of tentacles and they all point to the same direction, okay, we, we may need to focus on that. Leveraging non-1811 investigative assets is something I've focused on a lot since I've been in this role. Agents, as, as Raul will tell you, have a very dynamic career and get pulled in a lot of different directions. So making sure we're leveraging analytical prowess and analytical talent that can focus squarely on the investigations is something that I focused on. And one more thing I'd like to point out, and, and Raul brought this up twice, leveraging the folks that we have overseas mm-hmm. is even more important than it was when Raul and I started. Because every case eventually takes you overseas because the money went overseas, Yep, th- th- there is a, a direct connection between making sure you have engaged, aggressive investigative assets overseas and your investigative successes. Some of the most prominent cases we've had in recent times involves, so we, we literally had a case where we had a joint informant out of one of our field offices. I'll keep it sort of vague. And 
informant gave us some information on a target overseas, happened to be in a, a country that we had positive relationships with. We worked with that local law enforcement entity in that foreign country, along with HSI and a few others. We were able to buy some PII from that person, kind of like the undercover mm -hmm. deal. And we did that right before we entered the house with a search warrant. We were able to disable the cameras along with the local law enforcement folks. When we went into the house to execute the search warrant and the arrest warrant, the person literally had like a DJ, had a, two computers going and was in the midst of a ransomware attack while we were... so. Having those foreign law enforcement partners alongside you is, is a big, pretty big component to our success these days. Well, and I'm really glad that you both pointed that out because more and more us in the private sector are also seeing that, especially as geopolitical things shift and other economies and other things like that get harder. We're seeing so much more focus on getting USD out into the US. I just learned the term dollar milkshake this week for that purpose. And in the private sector, they'll say, well, I don't know if I should reach out our national, the Secret Service, DHS, whatever it is, because, you know, it's these people are outside of there. So that's great to know that those your tentacles are everywhere. Speaking of that, Dave, I'm going to let you go. I am so appreciative of your time. You both are welcome on Fraudology anytime. Just come be my co-host. It'd be so fun. Dave, take care. It was good doing it. I'll wear an Afro wig if I do it. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Thanks for the invite, Carice. Yes. Thank you so much. Well, I know you just have a few more minutes yourself, but would love to have you share anything else that you'd like to share with the audience, whether that's past cases or takeaways, how they can work with you and all that. I will, I guess I say that. And then I thought of one other thing is the organizations that you listed that you work with are ones that traditionally are in-store retail loss prevention. And yeah. I've tried over the years, specifically with NRF, I went there this year and tried to help with some programming for e-commerce. And it's just, it we're not there yet in being able to meld those two you know, conferences together or those two groups together as much. So love to know your thoughts on that yeah. as well. Great segue. Look, we're agnostic to play with anybody. Yeah. We really are. We want to do our jobs. We want to work we want to prosecute cases, we want to investigate transnational organized crime networks, and we want to seize their illicit assets, illicit gains. And, and if that means we, we work with private sector organizations that we've mentioned or banking institutions, fintech, federal, state, local partners, international, it does not matter to us. Our men and women do this day in and day out. And in some spaces, and like the one I'm going to talk about today with with how to report crime on yes. organized retail crime, organized retail theft, we just happen to have a very strong momentum and we've had a couple of our centers focus on those leads with the retailers. Mm. So for specific leads that retailers want to send leads to, refer them to the website iStock.gov and refer them to the Operation Boiling Point drop-down menu. I can also provide the National Lead Development Center email where we can take in actionable leads, regurgitate those through our systems, cross-vet them with, with the DHS space, the interagency, and then try to get those actionable leads out to a domestic field office where HSI agents working in, in conjunction with the state, local, federal prosecution teams can maybe put a case together quicker. You know, one thing I always try to remind folks when we do this is the public has to be patient. Some of these cases, specifically if they're financial, can take, and, and if you add in their cyber financial, six months to a year to 18 months. So they take time time. In the end, the agents can only bring the evidence to the side of the prosecution, and then those have to be materialized for prosecution. So let's just go ahead for the email. It's, it's otgcasesupportnldc at hsi.dhs.gov, otgcasesupportnldc 
at hsi.dhs.gov. I'll send that to you as well. Perfect. So you can put it on your on your media platforms. And what type of and, what type of information should they be sending yeah, so, in those? Perfect example would be we've identified a fraud scheme of, of several individuals buying gift cards that are tied to a network of return fraud. The investigator of this private company or an investigator that was hired by a particular retailer has this amount of information on X, Y, and Z, so-and-so. Last name unknown. Uh, here are his travel patterns. Here are his, his addresses that we believe uh, he might have lived at. Here are some phone numbers and his is the car he drives. You know, submitting that in a form for it to be looked at. And then unfortunately, the, the response will not be back to the person. Right. Obviously, that, that it could be anonymous, but they have to be patient that we're going to be looking at that, diving into it, cross-referencing it with the interagency and seeing if that case has ties to something we're already working or that maybe another agency already has equities into. So besides that, I'll give you the, the general tip line for, for the DHS family. Yeah. So it's 866-DHS-2-ICE. Hmm. They can also report there. That's the tip line for, for any of the criminal activity that they want to report. And also don't don't be afraid to go to your local SAC offices. You know, we're, we're on a public facing website, ICE.gov. You can identify that there's an sh- office in Charlotte. There's an office in Chicago. There's 30 SAC offices across the country. And try to engage with any of the federal partners that, that Dave mentioned. It, it can't just be HSI. And try to get that into the portal of it being investigated, looked at. And then and then maybe it gets looked at quicker because of that interagency engagement. So that, that's what I always like to say and have some patience on some of these, even though there's victims associated with these crimes, we very much understand the impact and specifically on organized retail crime because of the violence associated with some of the retailers dealing with it day in and day out and the prevalence to use weapons. HSI is actively engaged. And over the course of the last month, I've probably done five or six speaking engagements. I'm doing one tomorrow on specifically our initiative to go after these networks that are tied to organized retail crime and organized theft groups and cargo theft groups. You kind of made me laugh out loud a little bit when you just, as one random example, talked about gift cards and and refunds and returns, because literally that was a text message I got right before we got on this interview from a very large retailer that's, you know, having that happen now. And it sure seems like it's all connected to this bigger thing. It's insane. But I think that my audience will really appreciate knowing that you guys are Doing the very best you can with all the resources that you have to try to support them. So it's not just about, you know, stopping efforts, but they'll keep coming back, right? Said it's, we'll try to put some consequences around it and deterrence around it. And, you know, just to echo what you said towards the end there, it's exactly what Eric Bowles said as well when I had him on a few months ago, former Secret Service agent, where when he, he built up probably one of the best private sectors investigations teams I've seen. I mean, there's only a small handful, unfortunately, on the e-commerce side right now. And the number one way he did that, he traveled a lot the first two years to meet up with every agency in person. Every, you know, at the time it was called Electronic Plant Crimes Task Force, so, you know, Cyber Crime Task Force, but same thing and go meet them face to face and talk about, hey, this is what fraud looks like at StubHub. And this is, you know, ahead of time, right before there's that huge case. So I think yeah, that and I, that's a great yeah. message because otherwise people uh, are like, I sent an email and I never heard back. And so screw them. We'll just do our own thing. And, and that's not to say that in a perfect world that that wouldn't happen. But that's not where we're at. You have so many priorities. Yeah, exactly. And and just one last piece. So just to, to highlight, so along with Dave's Cyber Enabled Crime Task Forces, HSI has the, the Cyber Enabled Task Forces as well that oh, maybe good. you would think would be competitive, but they're yeah. not. You know, SAC offices have 
their own task forces and we do a, an enormous amount of those cases. Some of the biggest takedowns in history are tied to HSI initiatives on either targeting cryptocurrency or, or some of the larger takedowns that you've seen, you know, Alpha Bay, Hansa, Silk Road. So those those have collateral ties to HSI, working them either as a primary or secondary or third agency. So that's really cool to mention. As as innovation hits us all, and sometimes we feel like we're chasing innovation. Yeah. This HSI over the last three or four years has really focused on the innovation lab. We have a, an actual lab of innovation that we we like to speak about, where agents are being trained on on the best and brightest of data analytics, uh, how we go after cyber criminals, and specifically to address child exploitation. Because I spoke, we we spoke earlier. We put a lot of man hours, men and women hours into working child exploitation cases, yeah. unfortunately. So in the end, bring it to us, bring it to a state and local federal partner. Understand that we will work this as fast as we can and that we're here to serve the public. We're public servants. I cannot thank you enough for your time, both you and Dave. I'm the privilege to get to know you both. And I know how valuable your time is, but thank you so much for all the resources and information and efforts on this. I am obviously a huge proponent of education and collaboration, but I also know that a lot of times you're kind of straddling the line between, you know, talking at events and on media platforms while also doing the work. So thank you for all of that. Absolutely. Thank you again. again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.